Brother Evans? It's on my desk, so it has all the information. You already know all of it anyways, but... Okay, so I've got a couple cards and all the layout and everything going on, so that's back there. But uh, if you want to go to that, that'd be a blessing. I tell you, Brother Evans has got a good little church up there, and he's got a great heart. Uh, Brother Wheeler's still preaching it, so yeah, it'd be a good meeting. Trying to get one set up for somewhere between March and April for us, and uh, we'll see what happens. And other than that, Brother Okay. I don't know about y'all, but I'm I'm tired. It's been a crazy year. Thank God we're at the end of it. There's always a chance for new beginnings at some point when you get to the end of the year, whether you like it or not. Uh, and if nothing else, at least your year starts over new. Yes. Some of the problems you may drag in from the previous year, but at least the year starts over. And uh, it's a good time to reflect, uh, even though, like I said, life and problems and tribulations and good times and bad times may cross over that divide that is the new year. Uh, we find ourselves, usually this time of year, at least hopefully you are, you're reflecting on some of the stuff that's happened the year prior. And um, especially given the fact that Hopefully most of us have at least had a chance to go out and spend some time with family, like what was mentioned several times uh, throughout the day. There's, there's a lot of lost people that I'm sure we all came into contact with, and hopefully it was a reminder of a couple of different things. Number one is that uh, you're saved, and you ought to be thankful that you're saved. Uh, if you can get through both a Thanksgiving time and a Christmas time without thinking and being thankful for your salvation, you're in a really dark place as a Christian. Especially with as crazy as the world has been these last two or three years, uh, really, you know, now that I think about it, it's been kind of crazy my entire life. <laughs> uh, if you're honest with yourself, you're just starting to notice it a little bit more because it's starting to hit you and impact you a little bit more directly. And if I'm to be honest to know a few things that I know about history, uh, it's been crazy really ever since the devil got in and screwed everything up and Adam and Eve fell and uh, you know, not too much longer after that, uh, brother was killing his own brother. Some of the worst things that you could ever imagine took place a few years after the world was perfect. And so it's been crazy ever since. The devil would like to distract you and to think that this is a perfect place down here and get, try to get you caught up in the, the, the awesomeness that we see out in the world and and the, the money and the, the dollar bills and the, the fame and the fortune and everything else that comes along with it, the stuff that he controls in his world, he'd like to get you distracted by that. And maybe he has got you distracted. Maybe you've been distracted to some degree for some length of time. I pray that this message would be a help to you tonight. Uh, let's see here. Brother Mike, could you go ahead and pray for us tonight?
Amen, Brother Mike. Having more faith in myself than I do. Amen. Okay, if you could go ahead and turn to uh, the book of Matthew. We're going to cover a lot of the same ground that was covered this morning. Um, go a little bit further and maybe in different areas. Go a couple other directions. A lot of the same ground is going to be covered because there's, there's an important thing to get out of the beginning um, of the New Testament, even though the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John very much cover a lot of the events in the Old Testament. Uh, there, there's a transition here um, that is going on in the background uh, that's important to know. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 2, we are going to be, in fact, in the same exact passage that Dad was in. If you could stand for the reading the Word of God. The Bible says, Matthew chapter number 2, Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and I want you to notice here, in the days of Herod the king. Now, that's often something that's easy to overlook. It's a historical fact. It's something that, um, you know, there's a couple different Herods mentioned in the Bible. You know, oftentimes, things of history, we just kind of brush past. We want to get to the meat of things. We want to get to Jesus' birth, Jesus' birth, Jesus' birth, and Jesus' ministry. But all this started in the days of Herod the king. Let's go ahead and turn over to the book of Luke. You'll find this phrase in Matthew and Luke. And it's important that it's there. There's a reason God put it there. Uh, the book of Luke, and I believe we are in, maybe it was Luke, maybe it was Mark. That would be a terrible disaster if I started off in the second verse and the second verse was wrong. Um, give me a second here. It is mentioned twice. There we go. Beginning, sorry. Um, Chapter 1 is a long chapter. Chapter 1, verse 5. The Bible says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest. So here we start out. This, this whole uh, situation is framed by the fact that there is um, this is all occurring in the time of Herod, the king of Judea. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll get started here. Dear Lord, I just thank you for the day. Thank you for everything that you have in the Bible. Lord, thank you for all the uh, sometimes obscure things that we find in the Bible, the, the things that you put there for, for teaching and admonition. And sometimes, Lord, it may take us uh, a whole lifetime to get to certain nuggets and truths that we find in the Bible. Uh, Lord, uh, depending on when we need it and uh, the time and the day and age that we live in, Lord, there's a lot of stuff in here that applies to the day that we live. Uh, and certainly the day of Herod is uh, very similar to the, the day that we're living in, Lord, as far as uh, what's going on in our world. And I pray, Lord, that you just help me with the message tonight. Help me with the thoughts that I have in my head. Help me with the points. Uh, help everything here to be a help to your people. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. And I find that um, those, two, those two passages in Matthew, beginning of Matthew, beginning of the Luke, uh, the context there is that there's these events transpiring in the days of Herod the king. Now, this is Herod the Great. Uh, if you go into your you know, the history of things, uh, there were many Herods, and they all did different things, and most of them were very bad. Herod the Great, in particular, uh, this man had, a, had the longest rule of the Herods. Uh, he was, uh, we'll call him, very Hellenistic, and by that I mean that simply he was uh, very much adhered to the things of Greek tradition, uh, which is not something the Jews are supposed to be following. The, the gods, uh, the pantheism you know, that they had, all the different uh, things and idols that they worshipped, if you find a, a glimpse of that when you get over into the book of Acts and uh, Paul's dealing with these people. And obviously Paul knew quite a bit about 
the Greeks and how they did things, their traditions, just based on the fact that it appeared that he at least read something of their poets, um, because he references that. Interesting note, Paul references uh, heathen poets before he references or mentions anything in the Apocrypha. So if you think that Apocrypha is uh, in the Bible, uh, Paul would rather that you go read um, Thucydides or Pericles or something else before the Apocrypha. All right? So that's how much Paul thought of the Apocrypha. He mentioned uh, Greek history or, or Greek junk before he mentioned that. So that's an interesting note. Herod the king here is, as we'll say, a link between the Roman world and the Jewish world. He, he's, he was put there to be a link. Uh, he was put there to blend, help to blend the Roman world. Now, if you know anything about the Roman world, oftentimes we compare the United States in many ways, shapes, and forms to the Roman world. A lot of different people groups, uh, a lot of different religions, a lot of different world viewpoints, a lot of different political things political factions going on. I find when I look at the United States that really it's very similar to Rome. And we all know what happened to Rome. It fell and great was the fall of it. I'm not too worried about Rome. I'm kind of worried about Rome's influence on the Jews. Herod was put there to influence the Jews to turn away from what they had been taught and to start following what the Romans wanted them to believe. What the Romans, and we find similar examples uh, when the Jews went into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar did the exact same thing. He said, hey, I got these really smart Jews. They, they have apparently have built a fairly great empire. Now, they're mine now. Apparently, their God was not big enough to prevent me from capturing them. So I'm, I'm not going to let them go to waste. I want them to be assimilated because I'm a nice king. I'm a good king. I'm a glad king. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, cause too much upheaval because upheaval is a bad thing. And I want to just blend as many things as I, as I can because the more I am able to blend and assimilate things together, the bigger and bigger and bigger my country and my nation is going to be. And then I'll have an empire. And so we find a very similar story in Daniel where he said, hey, you know, I need these few wise men. Find as many wise men as you can. Find as many smart, young, well-behaved people in the nation of Israel and then start changing them to be what I want them to be. Make them eat the food I want them to eat. Make them drink the, the drinks I want to drink. Uh, make them live and exist in the area and the culture that I want them to exist in because if I can assimilate them, if I can get them into the culture that I develop and I control, then it won't be too much longer before they'll be my humble servants. And that's exactly what Herod tried to do. That was his goal. That was his, his purpose. He was there uh, to try to assimilate the Jews. Uh, the Jews at this point did not really like him too well. And for obvious reasons, he was a murderer. He killed several of his own sons. He executed at least three of his own sons. He had, I believe, 10 wives, executed at least two of those because he thought that they were going to conspire against him. So it's no surprise that uh, when in his last year of life or last year and a half or so of life, when word got to him from these apparently very important, well-off uh, wise men, I mean, you think how many people are able to just gain access with a king Apparently, these guys, when they showed up, it wasn't just three little guys on a camel. 
you can imagine what showed up to Herod's gate and, and enough that it got him noticed like, hey, there's a group of guys that showed up and they're real important and, and they're from all the way over there, you know, way over here on the map and, and they're asking about a king. That was the Herod that the wise men showed up to. A guy already fearful who had killed multiple of his own family. You think your wife, you think your husband's bad, okay? He hasn't tried to kill you. She hasn't tried to kill you yet. <laughs> You're still living. You got a, a better wife or a better husband than Herod was. And these wise men walk in to an already fearful king and say, hey, where's the king of the Jews? Obviously, it wasn't him. <laughs> because we've seen his star in the east and we're come to worship him. So it's no surprise that when Herod said, he, he conspired, because it's what he seemed to be very good at, from what I can tell of history, he conspired to kill the king of the Jews. He had no attachment to Jesus. He had, no, he had really, no, frankly, no attachment to the Jews. Uh, he had, this is, this is about as far as the attachment that he had. He had built and restored the temple. And he had, at the same time, introduced, introduced a lot of the Greek uh, ways of life. The, the Centers for um, Lesbian Dance Studies, uh, the, the Centers for Music, the Centers for Education, Arts, all that stuff. So he built the temple. He did, he did some stuff. If you just wanted to try to find something good about Herod, he built the temple back. While at the same time, making sure that everything that happened in the city was also in line with the Greek way of thinking. This was Herod. So... He sends the wise men away. We all know what happened. We, we heard that this morning. Wise men, uh, unfortunately for the Jews, the wise men seem to have more of a connection to God than many of them did. Because it says that God warned them in a dream, hey, you better not go back to that guy. And they obeyed. I find it amazing that God works with people like that. Just, just out of nowhere. Who in the world were these wise men? They come in, they leave. You never hear of them ever again. And yet God, for some reason, deals with these wise men and won't deal with the king sitting on the throne of Jerusalem. That's a sad state of affairs that we find this country. And as a matter of fact, the more I think about it, the more I study, the more I research the nation of Israel, they had a lot of things that were falling apart when Jesus showed up. Of all the times for Jesus to show up, he showed up in probably one of the worst times in Israel's history. And I say worse because they weren't doing very bad off as far as financially speaking. Herod was a good king as far as financially speaking. He, had, he, was, he was taking the Roman world and he was bringing the, the financial gains of Rome and, and the culture. Not everything in the world is about finance, but you know, everything kind of stems from that. The culture and everything else, uh, he was starting to bring the trade into uh, Jerusalem. And that started to alter the way that the rulers of Israel thought. And that's important because there's a series of steps that I see that I found that I've, I've delineated by the letter D here that ends up in them killing their own Lord. And we can find ourselves going down the exact same uh, set of um, the exact same rung, I should say, of the ladder, uh, starting out here with distraction. The danger of distraction. If I was to title this message, which I have, I called it the dangers in the days of Herod. Dangers in the days of Herod. Number one, the danger of distraction. I mentioned a few of the things that Herod had done. Now, some of this stuff you're going to get from his, just reading history. 
Uh, it's important that you read history. It's not the be-all, end-all, but there are things that uh, contextually get added by you studying history. And if history is found to change with the Bible, you go with the Bible and you say that apparently that history was not written correctly. Uh, and the more I read history, the more I realize that history all the time is subject to change. Mm -hmm. All the time. I just read the other day that there was a map or some document that was supposedly several hundred years old. It had been sold over and over again several times for millions of dollars. Come to find out they did a... a ink test. They finally have the ability to do an ink test and kind of date it by uh, when the ink was put on the paper. Come to find out it was less than 50 years old. Supposedly hundreds and hundreds of years old in a piece of national history. Fake. <laughs> fake. You know, the more I realize that historians of, pa of old past and uh, historians of today, they never agree with each other. They never have a clue half the time what's going on. It's best to just stick with the Bible. Why? Because it seems like the more the historians disagree, eventually every once in a while they come to agree on the fact that, hey, you know what? What the Bible said was in fact true. There were Hittites. You know, they said for a long time there were no Hittites. Sure enough, they found, they dig, you know, do enough excavation, they find Hittites. There was no Jericho. They find the, the city of Jericho. You can trust the Bible. You ought to trust the Bible. You don't have anything else reliable on this earth to trust. All right? You don't have anything else worth trusting. You can trust your, your splint. Spent four or five years uh, reading science books. They all change. Spent plenty of time reading history. I like history. I love history. It changes all the time. History changes. Written history, documented, uh, confirmed history changes all the time with new data. Your Bible never changes. Amen? Something you can rely on. It's something you can trust. It's something that when uh, the world is falling apart in your life, and it's something that when the world's not falling apart, oftentimes we... You know, I was at a funeral the other day uh, for uh, Brother Gray's dad uh, over in Miltonville. And they had a preacher in there. And, <coughs> and he mentioned the fact that oftentimes we Christians like to use the Lord as a spare wheel. He said, you only pull them out of the trunk when your tire's flat. You change it, you go get another tire, and then right back in the trunk he goes. Oftentimes that's the case, but nevertheless... You can know that every time you put that wheel on, it's always going to be full of air and ready to go. Regardless of how well you use it, if you want to keep it on, and, and you never have a flat with that wheel, amen? It's a wheel you can trust, that you can depend on. Uh, it doesn't require any maintenance, any upkeep. You know, he'll, he'll, you find yourself in a crazy, hard, rough situation. You know, the Lord, has never, the Lord has never gone prodigal on himself. He's never got to the point where he is strayed away from the Father's house, and just the same time you've strayed away, you go to call on him, and he's not there because he's straying away. He's always going to be right there. He's reliable. He's dependable. He's something that when you have a hard time, you can call on him, and he'll be there. Now, you may not like the answer that you get, uh, but at least he'll hear you, man. I mean, that's the important thing. You ask, you ask 20, 30, 40 times for the same thing, maybe he'll answer you. Maybe it take 10, 15, 20 years to answer you. But he will answer you. And it may be when you get to heaven. <laughs> you know, here's the reason why I didn't answer this thing is because you would have messed something up if I would have. Anyway, that was, uh, that was a rabbit trail there. And I felt like that rabbit needed to be chased. Dangers of distraction. Uh, and, and certainly the nation of Israel over the last 30 or 40 years that Herod had been on the throne, they started to get distracted. And, and by nation of Israel, I want to start at the leaders because the leaders are really the ones that uh, control, in many cases, the direction. They were put there by God. They were, they were instilled from, you know, you go back in uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're all put there 
In one way, shape, or form, the priests, the Levites, you know, the, the eventually became the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all these different groups. They originally were put there and in, in, uh, initiated to be in those positions by God so that the way they could provide a, a set of, they could follow the judgments, they could follow the statutes, the ordinances, everything that God had said, here's the law. They, these people were supposed to be the ones that were in line with that law so that they could, when the rest of the people came to them with issues, they would have the ability to say, this is what the law says, do this. I mean, you got leprosy on the inside of your house. You get a scraper and you scrape the inside of the house out. Uh, well, first you you check and you wait seven days, and then you if it's clean, then great, and it's you know we can pronounce the house clean. If not, uh, if there's a rising, there's scab, and there's this and that and a black spot and all the. Then we take the scraper and we scrape the wall. We take the mortar. We get all the the insides out. We throw it away, and then we redo everything. Believe it or not, there was probably a significant arm of the Levites that happened to be construction workers constantly repairing these houses. Constantly cleaning this, constantly fixing that, constantly doing all these things for all the different issues that arose in the United States, in the land of Israel. So all these people had been there, they'd been put in, they'd been going around. We find here in Luke chapter number 2 that we find Zacharias, he's, he's in the order, a specific, uh, uh, what does the Bible say, uh, the course of Abiah. Several courses of the priests, of course, that would rotate around. And he was doing his job as a priest, and the Lord came to him. So we find out that not only is there a distraction that's going on, as the nation of Israel is, is being slowly and methodically infiltrated by agents of the king with orders from Rome to try to change the way the people thought, starting from a religious level, because the Jews were always attacked and the change always occurred from a religious standpoint. That's where it started. If we can change the law of their God, or if we can change their, the way they view and follow the law of their God, or if we can remove their God altogether, then we can change the people just like that. And we find the exact same problem in the world today. We find that the exact same devil, the exact same world, just different players, different characters, uh, underneath his control is out and about trying to get you distracted. Because if he can get you distracted, that's how he starts to turn your heart away. And once he can turn your heart away, then he can take you down a bunch of other steps. And you find yourself five, six, seven, eight years down the road, maybe at the rate the world's going, and all the, all the distractions we have out there, it takes a lot, a lot less time for the devil to distract you and get you to the point where you are in death and destruction than it did maybe 150 years ago. Why? Because it took you half a day to get your wagon ready to go and to get your horse ready to go, and you got to do out, go out and do all kinds of work and just to get the horse, keep the horse alive so that way you can go into town, and by the time you get into town, there's only 12 of you living out in the country, so there's no reason to put a billboard up on your way into town, when you get into country, there's only, or when you get into town, there's only one magazine, and there was nothing else going on in town, so the only thing the magazine had was things that you probably actually needed, like seed. And it didn't matter because you were so poor, you couldn't afford the magazine anyway. <laughs> and so you spent the rest of your time back on the wagon train, back to your house to take care of your business, and you had a lot less distractions. Now, you wake up in the morning, and if, if you read your Bible in the morning, which you ought to, I'd recommend doing, because there's a lot of things that the modern Christian today has that will distract them even in the morning time. Amen. 
a lot of calls, you check your phone. I recommend, I recommend, this is from a younger guy who spent a lot of time on his phone, approximately three and a half hours a day on my phone, doing business things, other related things, studying, listening. That includes listening to the button. That includes going to my KJV app, pushing the button, and then clicking the play button and just letting it sit there. That includes that too. Three and a half hours a day, sometimes four or five in the busy season. I'd recommend you not touch, I'd recommend you leave your phone in your kitchen when you go to bed and you not touch it until you're done reading your Bible. Why? It'll distract you. That's not in the Bible. That's, they didn't say anything in there about your phone and how to uh, live with a computer and an iPad, but it's just, just common sense, practical thing from a younger guy who's not old enough, but also young enough to see the cost, the time cost that that phone can have on your life. And that time's got to be taken from somewhere. And oftentimes for the Christian, it's easy to take it away from your time with God. Your time in prayer, you know why you don't pray? Well, check how much time you're spending on your phone. It'll tell you usually. That's the convicting thing is you're going to get to heaven and God's going to pull a phone up and he's going to put it in front of you and it's going to be things you've already saw. You spent three hours here, five hours here, four hours here, two hours here, three. And then he's going to pull up, well, here's how much time you spent in prayer that week, that same week. And whatever awesome metrics the Lord is able to provide, whatever, he'll have a spreadsheet, believe me, all that stuff. It'll be in a, one of those books that he opens up and it'll tell you all the time you spent for him and all the time you spent for yourself or all the time you spent for other people for whatever reason in the world to gain their uh, respect or their loyalty or, or to, uh, in my case, in my business, we got to build relationships so we can make sales and so we can find people that can supply us and do it. Whatever the reason is, Christian, it, it, it's something that God's going to weigh in the balance when you get to heaven. And the problem they had up there is Herod came in and he said, hey, I got all these things that I can give you from Rome. And you know what? I'll build your temple back. But while you're worried about, you're all focused on, man, he's just a good guy for, yeah, I'm going to kill my sons and do all kinds of evil stuff in the background, but I'm going to introduce a lot of other stuff that, that Jerusalem has not had before. And I'm going to start bringing in a lot of traditions from other countries, and I'm just going to mix it in right there as, as much as you can take. You know why the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the Herodians and, and all those other groups of people, you know, it, it, it kind of blows me away when dad preached this morning and you just start to think about like how in the world were there so few people when Jesus Christ came, the greatest thing that ever happened on earth, not just to the nation of Israel, but on earth, that had been prophesied for hundreds of years. How were there people like Anna, Simeon, Zacharias, Mary, Joseph? I mean, amongst all the crowd, there were so few people. And then those people says that Anna and Simeon were in the temple. When they came to the temple for the purification, eight days, they came to the temple there, and they published it in the temple who this kid was. And within 12 years, there were people there that were wondered and amazed at who he was. They, they had apparently forgotten. They were so distracted by the event, the political events where they're, they're, they had reached, the level that they had reached, the, the leaders of the temple, basically the rulers of Israel at that time. They were the ones when, Her I mean, what, who did Herod call? He didn't call the king, the sub-king of Israel. He didn't call this political figure. He called the scribes and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and those people, the Herodians, his friends, the people that were the, the religious leaders. 
many of those people would eventually see baby Jesus in the temple. Many of those people would see the 12-year-old boy. And what does the Bible say? It says that every year at the Passover, they came back. Every year. And so when Jesus came into the world preaching and teaching, why in the world didn't they know who in the world he was? That's the thing that you wonder, how in the, wor how in the world? But Christian, the same exact thing, believe it or not, can happen to you. Just like that. You get distracted. By what? Oh, the things going over here, the politi political system, the, the upheaval, the, the, the news of what Herod did to his family today. Same exact stuff going on in the world as has been going on for the last 2,000 years at least. And you get distracted, and sure enough, you start to tilt just a little bit one way. And then you start to go into decline, where you're no longer maintaining the things you're supposed to maintain. It says that when Herod called them together, not only did they misquote, they misread Micah. Because Herod's a politician, and what does the Bible say? Herod, it says, where, where's all this stuff going to be? Where are these things going to be? And we're over in Matthew. That's where that's going to be found, Matthew chapter number 1. I believe it is. You go from being distracted, and by and by, if you don't get yourself, your eyes focused back where they need to be, you will go into decline, because anything distracted away from focus on the Lord is, decline, is spiritual decline. Bible says, where, uh, where is he that is born in the king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 2. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. So it wasn't just Herod now. It's now the people that Herod has affected. And they are thinking the same exact way that Herod is thinking. They are not only distracted, but they are in spiritual decline. And when you get into spiritual decline... You stop thinking and caring about the things God wants you to care about. He put those, he put those, uh, those promises, the great and precious promises, that these things are going to happen in the nation of Israel. He put those in the care of his children, of the children of Israel. He put those things, hey, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. It may not happen uh, in this lifetime, but it's going to happen. And eventually he started saying, hey, in this specific time, like Dad mentioned this morning, the Messiah is going to be cut off. Somebody ought to have been watching and waiting for that time. And it says, not only was Herod completely confused, because he was never really a Jew to begin with, he was just a fit-in, he was a fill-in trying to assimilate, but all Jerusalem with him. And we find that out of all Jerusalem, there was Anna, Simeon, and maybe just a few other unnamed people in the crowd who were waiting and watching. So there's the flip side of us. We have exceeding great and precious promises that have been delivered to us. Of the several hundred um, promises in the Bible, 48-ish or so got fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are many hundreds yet to be fulfilled that we have in our hands. You know what the devil would love for you? He would love for you to get distracted by Herod. Now, is that Joe Biden? Is that, oh, no, that's anybody. Anybody out there outside of these walls under the guise of the world, it exists to distract you, the Christian, from remembering and maintaining the memory of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's eventually going to do 
how he's going to take us out. Yes, which means there's going to be some people that are left, which means that we ought to be doing everything we, we can to reach those people so that way they can leave with us, so that way they're not left behind. Because if we refuse to do that, when God comes, yes, their blood is going to be at our hands. And God puts that stuff in our hands, and every day, every day, to some degree, some of us in here, we get to the point where we get distracted by stuff that just does not matter, stuff that doesn't carry a, a, a speck in eternity. It's, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. I'll show you a couple things that you get distracted by. These are things I listen to. I listen to over the last two or three weeks. I listen to what you all say. I listen to what my friends and my family say. I listen to what other, other Christians say. And it scares me. This year in particular, I just spent, I spent quite a bit of time just listening. And I expect, listen, I expect when I go to, <coughs> when I go to my in-law's house and when I go to their uh, extended family, I expect to hear nothing about this and stuff like this. That's what I expect. What scares me is when this year in particular... I heard more about this and this than I did about him from a lot of Christians that I know. You're all distracted. We get distracted by stuff that when you get to heaven, God's not even going to mention it. You think God cares about the new Spider-Man, Christian? That's all I heard from y'all. Now, am I where I need to be? No, absolutely not. Got to catch myself and say, well, if you're going to get on them about Spider-Man, you better, you better watch yourself. Yeah, you're absolutely right, God. You got me. But I'm in a position of a preacher right now, and I got to say it. Does it make me feel it? No, because I know you're looking at me, and you're saying, well, you did it. You're right. Probably right. But when, you know why I go to my dad's house? Because I know he may talk a little bit about random stuff like this and trucks and cars, but I know most of the time when I go there, I'm going to get into a conversation about God somewhere. And that when that, change, when that happens, it's going to be all the rest of the conversation. And I will get something that will help me get to eternity and have a little bit more to say when I get there and have a little bit more gold, silver, and precious stones. That's why I like hanging out at my dad's house. This is, this is what Herod brought in to Jerusalem. The sports and the worship of athletes and the love of, again, there's money behind it, and the entertainment. You know why within 20 or 30 years of him coming in, as hated of a king as he was, by the time his sons and Pontius Pilate were in ruling positions, you know why, you know why they were crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ? Because this meant more to them than their own Lord and Savior. God's chosen people. 14 generations removed to David, 14 generations removed to Abraham. The signs were all there. There he is, right there. People were waiting for him. You know all those people were really, really old for the most part? Archaic. Where were all the young people? That's the danger. That's the danger of being young. But it's also the danger of a system where there are older people and they're not bothering to pass anything off to the younger people. That was the, that was the nation of Israel. When Jesus Christ was born, I almost guarantee it, 
time-wise that Gamaliel was probably there. I don't understand how Gamaliel, probably being the age he was, and most likely several times having brushed with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't understand why me saying I don't understand, it's just kind of like, you know, off the top. If, you're, if you want to be blind, you'll be blind. Even though the Lord Jesus Christ is standing there, you'll be blind to him. And they're all sitting there, and they go about their business and what they think is right, and, and they have the Lord Jesus Christ walk in year after year to that temple. And then John pops in, and he starts, hey, you know, there's, there's going to be a guy coming after me. And they send Levites, and they send priests. Who in the world is this guy? They've, they've declined spiritually. I don't care about politically, physically, or anything. I'm talking about spiritually. What matters? They've declined. By and by, you decline far enough, you enter into point number three. It's really quiet, I know. Dad mentions this all the time, you know, and, and some of y'all, you'll, you'll get resistant in, in such a way where you'll say, you'll use, you'll go to the Bible and you'll say, well, bodily exercise profits a little bit as profit, thereby, and you don't just go out and play just to get, just to keep your heart rate moving and to keep you from, or to keep your gluttony under control or to uh, keep you alive longer so you can preach the word longer. You use that as a justification so you can watch this junk over and over. Well, is he on a hobby horse? Yeah, probably, you know. Somebody's got to be it. All the older preachers are going by. Somebody's got to say that, man, you know, I sat there and I listened to it. I don't see, I don't get anything good. I don't get, any, I'm telling you, I don't get a single shred of spiritual benefit from listening to this or watching this. And it just takes your time, Christian. It just sucks your life away. It's not just, not just this stuff. I mean, there's a billion other things you can do. You can even get involved in good things. Work. You can spend all your time worrying. This is one of the areas where I'm kind of going into my own court. Spend a lot of time in work, and you can work for something that doesn't matter. And your whole life, you stand before God, and he, he takes, what does he take? He takes, all right, here's your time. This is all you got. You, you had time. You could have given me your time. And you chose to give it to here, and you chose to give it to here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here. <laughs> okay, next point. <clears throat> dangers of distraction. And believe me, I would, I would venture to say most of us are, are at that point at least. Amen. Myself included, most preachers, most teachers. You, get, you know what I read? It's like the closer you want to get to God, they say the closer you get to the devil, and, and you want to be where God is at? Well, that was where the scribes, Pharisees, and all the rest of them were at, and they were the farthest away from God when he showed up. It's a very dangerous position because you got to do everything he tells you to do, not just what you want. I mean, when he says, like Dad said this morning, he says, go all the way there, preach, and then come all the way back and don't talk. And you want to raise the preacher. You just want to stop and tell somebody that God did this for me in my ministry. And he, and he did all that. And bam, you're dead. Why? Because there's all these other people who are watching you. And I put in your hand the word of the Lord, and you blew it right there all the way back, and you stopped under that tree, and you blew it. And I hand you the oracles of God, nation of Israel. And by and by, they are in such spiritual decline that eventually they fall into darkness. And spiritual decline, of course, I'm going to say is like ignorance. Uh, that's, where, that's where the wise, you know, when the wise men came in, that's where the, the leaders in the nation of Israel were. 
when they had linked themselves with Herod for their own political and spiritual gain or financial gain, they, came, they, be, they started to become, they started to shift. They be, eventually became as ignorant to the things of God as Herod was. They had the same level of confusion when those wise men walked through the doors as did Herod. They didn't go maybe to the extreme that Herod went to. Hey, man, you know, like we're kind of cool with the status quo. We're cool with things being the way it is. I mean, our, yeah, we got to put up with some of this, you know, abominations and these heathenries and the revelry and all the stuff that's coming with all these crazy Greek people moving all their traditions and things. And but, but it's it was a stable world we're living in. We've been living in upheaval after upheaval over and over again, and and just up and down and up and down, and we're finally kind of getting stable here. We don't want that to change. We, don't, we want the status quo. We're fine with the status being exactly the way it was. We don't really want the king that was prophesied a long time ago, so much so that they had already forgotten about it. They had to send somebody, just like back in the Old Testament, found a book of the law covered in dust. You know, you venture away in this day and age, Christian, you venture away too far and too fast, you get distracted from the things that God has built for you and created for your help and your admonition to spiritually build you up. You venture too far away. You get distracted somewhere else. It won't be too much longer where you've forgotten everything you learned. And everything that God has put there for your reference, just like those Levites and those, uh, those priests are supposed to be there, as soon as somebody came in with any type of issue, issue of blood, uh, theft, robbery, um, accidentally killed somebody. I mean, just anything in the world you could think of, there was supposed to be somebody there who could pull the judgment out, who could pull the statue out, who could pull all the different things, the commandment, say, this is what you're supposed to do. You blew it this, you know, over here, you take the turtle doves and the pigeon, and you do this, you messed up over here, you take the oxen, the, uh, the log of oil, and you, whatever it was supposed to happen. In addition, they were supposed to know the timeline of the nation of Israel, and they, they had forgotten that. And so when it came time for the Lord to walk in among them, it wasn't a few years later, after he was 12 years old, sitting there, that he was making a cord and driving people out of the temple that were selling stuff in his temple. That's now all they cared about. The priests and the Levites and the, the scribes and such, they were fine overlooking everything in the world that was going on in that temple because they had become so accustomed to Herod. Not just Herod, but his son, Herod. And Pontius Pilate. And everybody else that was now the worldly, the worldly rulership of the nation of Israel. And they were fine, as long as the money was flowing, they were fine letting whatever in the world could happen, happen there. We call that darkness. They had declined, they had been distracted, they had declined, and they were now in darkness. And the Bible talks about darkness in many ways. If you could go over to uh, John chapter number 3. Two of these references are in John uh, the other one, of course, is in James uh, chapter number 4. John chapter number 3. And darkness is always to be compared to light. Anything that is not light is going to be darkness. Anything that is not darkness is going to be light. John 3.19. Most of us know this. These couple verses like the back of our hands. It follows one of the greatest passages uh, that ever there was said. Uh, of course, that was said to a ruler of the Jews. Ironically who came to Jesus at night. 
The Bible says in John chapter number 3, in verse 19, And this is the condemnation, that light, and he's referring to himself, is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth, or that doth hateth, or that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doth come to, or doth truth, cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So the, the start there is that you will deal with light based on what your deeds are. And when Jesus Christ came into the world, their deeds were so evil that they, they, they never came. They sent people to see what the light was. They didn't want to mess with the light because if they associated themselves too much with the light, their deeds would be manifested, which they eventually became manifested every time they associated with Jesus Christ and they got close to him and asked him questions. And then they'd have to make a decision, what do we got to do now the fact that we have built this relationship with the world out here and we're going to lose everything in the world if we follow this guy? Nicodemus knew exactly what was going to happen to him. He knew exactly what could happen to him. Not only the loss of everything he had gained as a leader, his status, his position, his, his money, financial status, political status, out the, out, out the wazoo, gone. But he knew that they had the ability to kill. Using any pretext, any reason, he, he knew, or Nicodemus knew of all those guys that they had hired, to do their dirty work, to lie about people, to cheat, to steal, to, to go up and bear false witness. Those people didn't just come out of the woodwork. They had been in the employ of the leaders of Israel for a long time at this point. Probably some of the same holdovers from the Herod administration. And he knew all that stuff was going to happen and what it would cost him for him to turn away from where he was at and follow Jesus Christ. So much so that he was so fearful that he came at night and said, listen, we know who you are. And by we, I'm not talking about like the Herodians or the, the Sadducees. I mean, they're like way out there. But, the, you know, me, I'm kind of Pharisee. I kind of, you know, I got enough of my ducks in a row to know who you are and the fact that we are wrong and you are right. And bare minimum, you're a prophet sent from God. And Jesus Christ, what does he say? He says, he says Nicodemus, you're, you're looking at me from a position of darkness. You don't even know, like what Brother Joe preached the other day, you don't even know basic stuff. How, you're master of Israel and you don't know these things? How can you get to that point? You've been in church your entire life, you don't know these things? How can you get to this point? And by definition, all the people that have been following you, I'm dealing with them on a regular basis. And i got to undo out there on the backside of the wilderness everything you all have preached to them and talked to them for the last 20 or 30 years because you're a bunch of hypocrites and they can't believe, they can't actually follow you and see that you follow through with what you're supposed to do. They got no, they're, they're, you are blind leaders of the blind. You, you're in darkness. Why? It started 15, 20, 30 years ago. Some of those prophets, priests, uh, some of those uh, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, they, they grew up, they were contemporaries with the Lord Jesus Christ. They may have been very similar in age. Paul very likely could have grown up and been about a similar age to Jesus Christ, 10, 15, 20 years on the high end, plus or minus. They, as a group, moved away from what they knew to be right, followed after something over here that did not matter for their own political gain and power, and dragged a whole nation with them. And when Jesus Christ was there, he's talking to one of those few See, not, he may not, you may not always get the chance to get out. 
once you start progressing down, these, down this uh, ladder, down, 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 there's no telling how far you go and at what point there is no return for you. And if you find yourself, you're like, man, you know, I, I am in darkness. I'm in church for 5, 10, 15 years. I feel like I'm in the exact same position I was when I got here. In some cases, you may feel I'm worse. It's not Jesus' fault. You're the one who got distracted. You're the one who started to decline. You're the one who fell into darkness where you can't even see straight. You don't know where you're going. You don't know how you're going to get there. Isn't it crazy to me that the, the, uh, when Jesus Christ came, when he was born, that they knew they were able to determine exactly where he was going to be born, exactly when he was going to be born, how he was going to be born. They were able to get all that stuff, but within 33 years, they had forgotten all about him. By the time he was preaching and teaching, that. It was almost like as if they, by the time he was 12, I mean, at every point you look at Jesus' life, it's almost like they did not pay attention to anything that had happened in their own land. They were totally oblivious to the life of Jesus Christ up until that point. And you know, there's a lot of Christians that come to church, and they are totally oblivious to everything Jesus Christ is doing to them, even the good stuff, the protection. The fact that you're saved and what you actually got out of when you got saved. And you're just, you get, you get oblivious. You forget about it. It no longer becomes important. You get distracted on some silly thing. You only got so much time, Christian. You only got so much time. It's one of the highest priorities that a preacher, I think, can, can relay and state is just how little time you have to get all this stuff in order. I mean... Especially when you're young. I mean, you, you don't know what's going to hit you when you start having kids. You don't know. In this day and age where it's, it's becoming more of a trend for husband and wife to go to work and work long-term or find some crazy alternative to working where you're still able to make money without killing yourself, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse with the events that have just happened. It's going to become harder and harder. Things are going to become more expensive and more expensive. You young people need to understand that this must be a priority now. Not when you have kids and you realize how hard that is. And some people take kids entirely different. You may have two, three, four kids and be perfectly fine. Other people, you may have your first kid and you want to go out and stand in oncoming traffic every day. I find myself in the middle. And life becomes harder and harder and harder and harder. And the pull of the world and the distractions of the world, this current distraction has been going on for two years. And you still, you, just, you hear it every day. How many people have gone through a week without hearing the word COVID? None of us in here. No one. And most of us in here know that the thing's kind of on the downturn. It's not really affecting us personally as much anymore as it did. And yet it's still something that, it's, it's like it's a trigger word. Every time it's said, you start to think of a whole list, of, and you're already distracted. You are, and, you, and then you go off into the political commentary and should we vax or should we not vax and all that other stuff that goes with it and it just sucks your time. And then you're now researching things online because you got to prove somebody wrong who you got in a conversation with. Over, and you're in the exact same position here. You're wasting your time and you're not talking to anybody about Jesus Christ and you're going to stand before God and answer for that. It, it bothers me when 
when I spend so much time around people, and I'm not just burning y'all, believe me, there's plenty of people at work that say they're Christians and, and they wouldn't know Christ from the devil if they both stood side by side. But they think that they're doing everything right. And I read my Bible, and the Bible says, ain't so, buddy, and they don't care. A lot of Christians, they don't care what the Bible says. Sat down with my mother-in-law, same thing, going off on Joyce Myers and how she said all these nice things, and da 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 And I'm like, step one, it says a woman's not supposed to be in a position like she is in the church, and she tried to make every excuse in the world why the things that she liked to hear from Joyce Myers were okay. Didn't care about the fact that it was wrong altogether. Was trying to justify why what she liked in a church was okay. We make justifications for all kinds of stuff. You find yourself exactly like the scribes and Pharisees. Man, there's times I find, and man, you you feel like you're doing everything right, and then God points a particular part of your life, and you're like, whoop, I'm all the way over here in darkness. This particular part of my life, darkness. <laughs> Been that way for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever the case may be. So, okay, well, I've done shown my light in that part of your life. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? Because you see what happens when you reject. Like, you can accept me in all these other areas of life, but, and that's great, but I would like to get everything possible, every spiritual thing that I can out of you. And this thing right here you got to deal with, and this thing you got to deal with, and what are you going to do with it? And yeah, other people may have problems with this over here, and it's easier to say, well, they got a problem with this and a problem with that. And you know, some of you guys really are maybe addicted to the football, and, you, and it's destroying your life and consuming your life, and that's all you think about. And you're going to forget about everything we've said tonight, everything we've said for the last three weeks, and you'll be talking about your stinking football over there around your coffee. Because that's all you care about. But there's other things that I know I deal with. And I may not talk about, you know, over there with the coffee and sit there and you know, go off about those things, but there's other things I catch myself throughout the year, throughout the year, throughout the day, throughout the week. I'm like, why do I spend so much time? And it's not, I want to get to heaven. And it doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter what. You spend a lot of time watching TV. You spend a lot of time in football. You spend a lot of time worrying about money and bills and all that. I mean, it's all, it's all going to burn up. Every bit of it. It's going to burn equally. It could be oak. It could be hickory. It could be, it's all going to burn up. And you find yourself just like the Pharisees and the scribes, maybe the few that got through and they don't have anything to show for it and they were rulers and they had, every, they had access to everything. That's the danger in our day and age is we're going to have access to everything in the world and the ability to get any piece of information, any spiritual piece of information, any biblical piece of information, just like that. We have the people that can, that can transfer the information just like that and we're going to do so little with what we have. And we find ourselves at the last point here, the danger of spiritual death and destruction. And I'm not talking about death and hell. I'm talking about the spiritual side of you that God has created to honor and glorify Him, to praise Him, to worship Him, is no longer putting out anything. It's effectively an ICU in the emergency room on life support. And it'll be that way until God comes back if you don't do anything about it. danger of spiritual death and destruction. You stop believing in the promises of God. You lose the ability to comprehend. John chapter 1. We're in chapter number 3 here. Let's just flip over to chapter number 1. 
verse 5, the Bible says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And you no longer have the ability to comprehend anything spiritual that God tries to shine your way. You are in such thick darkness. The Bible says in James chapter number 4, verse 14, and I know this is talking about the children of Israel, uh, the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad in, in the land of Israel in the tribulation. But there are some practical things we can get out. You, you, become, you start to become in your body an enemy. You become at enmity with God. The division is now so great, you are now so far separated, spiritually speaking, that effectively you are in this group over here, this Herodian group, this, uh, we'll call it Pharaoh, we'll call it Nebuchadnezzar, or uh, Belteshazzar, Darius, there, the self-worship and all the other stuff that goes along with that. You are over here, you are so far removed that, you are, that God views you effectively as you are, you are my son, but you're acting like an enemy. And your deeds become evil. The sad thing I find when I, when I read my Bible, when I read those first three books, is that the people that were supposed to be there following Moses to be a light, and man, Simeon got it, to be a light to the Gentiles. The rest of us heathen, those are the ones that put to death the only guy who could have ever been light. And they thought they were doing God a favor. What few that actually cared about God, the rest of them were just trying to preserve their political influence and their power, their money, the things they had gotten from the world. Am I to say that tonight you're supposed to just come and give all your money? In, in, no, 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 no. But you ought to be very aware, very in tune with when the things of this world are starting to bend you off that course. Because by and by, it doesn't take too long before you're all the way down in the ditch, face down in the mud, and there's somebody or some, a brother or sister somewhere trying to perform life support on you. And it may come a day, Christian, younger people, if you, if you fail, it's always good to talk about the ifs, if you fail to step up to the plate, which many have in the last decades and years and long, there's been a lot of failures. If you fail to step up to the plate, my kids and maybe my kids' kids may not have anybody to try to perform the life support on them if they get out. And by and by, Anchor Baptist Church is gone. It's a shell. It's a memory. Everything in here that has been fought so hard for to get to where it's at and all the tears that have been shed, all the stupidity we've gotten ourselves into and, and God has rescued us from that and all the struggles and the tribulations and the, the back and forth and, and the, the fighting with the devil and all that other stuff that has been such a hard thing for many of us to get to the point where we're at in our lives now that's all forgotten. We're up in heaven, but we're watching something down here become a monument and eventually it's just like these people up here. They are, they are so attached to the world that effectively they have become the world. So my question to you tonight in the days of Herod that we live in. Are you like Anna? Are you like Simeon? Are you like Zecharias? Where you're excited that God has still bothered to show up and he showed up in your day and age 
and he's done something with maybe one of your kids, your, fam- your fr- friends, your family. He's, he's overcome. He's got some victory that he's allowed you to have. And that's what you're thinking. That's, that's the way your mindset is, is, man, I'm, I'm just trying to do everything in the world I can for Jesus Christ. Or are you, have you become attached, Christian? Have you become attached? Have you become distracted, attached? You're, you're now declining. You know if you're declining spiritually. You know. Because you're not going up. Or you're dark. Or maybe you're just about dead. There is a way out. It says that the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. But believe me, Christian, there are people like Nicodemus. So he shines hard enough and long enough for you to come out of that darkness and receive the light. It can change your life. And it may not take, it may not be instantaneous. It may take a long time for you to walk out of that darkness, and there's gonna be a lot of things dragging at you from that darkness as you're trying to walk out of it, but it can be done. And we have an altar up here for you to say, God, I mean, this is, this is where you go. And like was said earlier today, you don't, you don't just praise God at church. You don't just uh, uh, worship God at church. You don't just confess your sins here. Man, it'd be great if we all confessed our sins Thursday and Friday and Saturday and got everything right. And then we showed up here and we got to spend a lot of time worshiping God up here for the good stuff that he's done for us. And not having to spend so many tears up here trying to say, well, I screwed up this and I messed up this and I blew this. into the... this, is, this would be better spent, Christian by you up here thanking and praising God for the things he's done for you and the victories and all that other stuff than for you to constantly be up here crying because you made a boo-boo Monday, Tuesday, and then Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Victory should be up here. You should have spiritual victory. You can come and say, God, I mean, I'm thankful that 10 years ago you gave me the victory over that and I haven't had that problem since. And I've been able to move on and you allowed somebody to get saved the other day. Randy, Randall. This is what, man, this would be great if we could spend most of our time up here thanking God for the things that he allows us to have, the, the victory that he allows us to, to see in this church and the, the greatness and the glory that he shows us every once in a while here while we live on this crazy, evil world. Amen. If you've got a problem, if you've got a trial, you've got a tribulation, you find yourself anywhere heading down to this ladder. Now's your time to come up here and get a hold of God. You find yourself struggling with an addiction to something like this, which is what ex- exactly what it is. You're an addict. You're ad- you're addicted to the wrong thing, and you ought to be addicted to God. And when you get addicted to God, it'll change the way you live. Amen. Amen. That's all we have for tonight.